Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 50, Why Don't We Phone the Real Police? This week we're discussing series 4, episode 7 of Doctor Who, The Unicorn and the Wasp, and season 3, episode 15 of Buffy, Consequences. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. So, Unicorn and the Wasp. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, good good Agatha Christie episode here. Um, and, and I know you, well, actually, we didn't really talk about this before we were starting the podcast. I know you took some notes, um, and, and the sort of biggest notes is that this was written by Gareth Roberts, who wrote the Shakespeare code. Yeah. Um, and you can certainly see some similar parallels there. Um, the, the mentioning of the uh, different titles or quotes mm. or whatever, where the writer's like, Oh, that's good. I'll use, use that. that. Yeah. You know, uh, well, and, a number of times. And with, each of the, those. and with Donna adding the extra layer of uh, claiming copyright or 10% of yeah, everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. She's definitely wanting a piece of, of the piece, which is like, come on, Donna, don't be ridiculous. Let's, you know, <laughs> it wasn't you who actually thought of it no. to begin with. No. So, um, the other thing that I, I didn't notice on the first watcher, but the second watcher, I mean, I, I noticed it. I didn't make the connection was the use of terminology by the companion that they think is appropriate to the time period. Yeah. So yeah. in, in in the Shakespeare Code, we get Martha saying, you know, forsooth and, you know, whatever. And the doctor's like, no, 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 no. no don't do not do that. And again, we get Donna doing a very similar um, sort of thing. I don't, I can't remember if I actually wrote down what she oh, said. Oh, it's like her um, spiffing topo, like very. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the doctor, again, is like, no, no. She like goes into like Great Gatsby era, like. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and, exactly. and um, it's not. Um, from a Gareth Roberts episode, but um, but Rose does that in Tooth and Claw too with her Scott sort of um, oh, right, her right. stuff with uh, Tooth in um, when they're in Scotland with Tooth and Claw, and and he does the no 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 don't do that. So that's yeah, definitely a little running, a little running gag with each new companion is that joke and. You're right. The second two times, those were both Gareth Roberts episodes. Right. So he seems but, to have taken that and run with it. Right. I Yeah, I, I had forgotten that Rose does that, too. So it, it's sort of, I guess it seems to be more like when they go back to sort of uh, distinctive eras within British history yeah. uh, that they do that. So, you know, the Elizabethan and Victorian and now the, the 20s, um, I guess Edwardian would that be uh yeah that... sort of getting out of the edwardian era i think yeah but, yeah but yeah that kind of line between um edwardian era and i guess world war ii era modern era like or getting out of world war or world war one I, I suppose world war one um, like right. the early 1920s and yeah um anyway yeah so the the point just being that uh i thought i i noticed that connection between the two but you're right it it predates that with with rose so i guess uh there is still a connection it just wasn't quite the one that i was thinking of um, there is a connection it just goes further back than you were 
than you were thinking. Right, right. It, it, it a little different quality than mm-hmm. what I had been thinking of. Um. Anyway, so. Yeah, so you can. See... I, I do. I do like the. I do like the references. Also, so then the other um, callback, of course, is um, the the again not to another Roberts one, but um, the callback to the Dickens yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> stuff where 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 uh, Donna's like, you know, it, it's like meeting Dickens on Christmas, and there's ghosts, and he's yeah. like, well, <laughs> it's the ghost. Yeah, and then um, and then her whole little wish fulfillment fantasy that they're gonna find uh, Enid Blyton having tea with Naughty. <laughs> like, right, Naughty's right. not real. Um, <laughs> which so which excited. I had to look up. I I had actually never heard of that author or or her books. So that's you know whatever my own ignorance. But um, well, it's yeah, a, a it's a, a British an, an thing. But I think sort of. you could. You could almost substitute any beloved character in there and and the joke would work, you know, like suddenly the possibility for Donna has opened up that her all these things which she thinks of as just stories might be Mm -hmm. real out there. You know, that if they can meet Agatha Christie surrounded by murder mysteries and they can meet Dickens surrounded by ghosts, maybe... Mm -hmm. Does that mean all her favorite stories are true? You know, does that mean right. that whoever, you know, Enid Blyton and Naughty or maybe, um, I don't know who else. Uh, I, I don't, I'm blanking on other examples, but any other sort of like favorite yeah. childhood character, you know. With we the, even think of like C.S. Lewis and the Pevensey kids. Yeah, seriously. Know, who, like, who were based on yeah. actual kids who were lived near him you know yeah yeah so the the um, possibility being that through you know in these like the through the portal of the tardis i guess she could bump into any beloved you know uh author or genre and find them find that they're true you know at least yeah or, in some or sense. at least find so. the the seed the core of truth within uh, you know what becomes the myth, and and yeah, we we've, we've talked about that a little bit, but um, that's very interesting. The, the the sort of the you know that idea, the the Tolkien esque you know core or soup of mythology mm. that you know is there's something there to it. We just may not know what the origin actually is, and this is. Yeah in one respect, discovering what those origins are. And, and I like that. Um, yeah, I like that, that you're right. Donna does have that sort of, you know, epiphany in this episode, but then also it's sort of couched in the terms of Agatha Christie and, and her own mysteries that she wrote, as well as the mystery of her disappearance, which yeah. to my knowledge is something that's still a mystery. Like there's never been any real, resolution uh yeah no it doesn't at least, sound at least like not it. at least not any satisfactory one a lot of conjecture and a lot of yeah. you know possibility but uh nothing that's really given a good idea so i like i like how um you know and and in general the show plays with those sorts of edges all the time you know the fuzzy mm-hmm. edges <laughs> uh around those sorts of stories but i i like uh i like how they did that yeah um yeah, no, that's true. You can kind of see Gareth Roberts going, okay, I'm going to write uh, an, an an Agatha Christie episode, 
and then kind of looking at her life and saying, well, there actually is an unsolved mystery, you know, so what a perfect mm -hmm. opportunity to fill that gap with a wacky Doctor Who alien and like, you mm -hmm. know, that that's almost too good to resist. Like that's a, right. and, that's a piece and it's of not her just... life which mirrors her own work and is just screaming to be turned right. into a Doctor Who episode, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, although that said, well, and may, we're kind of going all over the page here. I, yeah. <laughs> you know, with that said, I like how they have this whole like explanation of, okay, so Agatha Christie, you know, comes to however many days later in this, you know, in somewhere far away from where she left her car. But then Nana points out, yeah, but all the other people there, they know what's going on and they weren't, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> well, they're British, so they won't ever talk about <laughs> it because it's not proper. You know, they're it's just British. Like... They're completely repressed. They're never going to say <laughs> yeah. anything. Wait a minute. What? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay, whatever. Um, well, so, and that's so, just like, well, that makes me think of like uh, the doctor saying to Mickey, like, Mickey, let me explain something to you. If you take a blue box and put it in the middle of the crowd, what do people do? They just go past it and move on. Right. Don't overthink it. Just, you know. Right. They ignore it. Keep calm, carry on kind of thing. So, like, <laughs> if you yeah. have... A giant wasp crash a 1920s dinner party. Yeah, they're never going to talk about that ever again. <laughs> right. So, right. you know, I, I think... Yeah, well, and they, and they even bring that up a couple of times within the episode itself. Not not just with, at the end, with Agatha Christie, but, you know, the... Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm British, so I, you know, never said anything about it and completely yeah. ignored its existence. Um well, and, so, yeah. and you can kind of see that that is part of the culture because they even use it, like, I guess to talk more about, like, the setting and everything. Um, they they use it <laughs> Oh, you mean getting like, us back on track? Getting us back onto what we're supposed to, to be talking about. Um, <laughs> I, there actually is a tie-in because there's the, there's the kind of subplot in the story about... Lady Edison having mm -hmm. um, the child out of wedlock right. and having to bring right. him back in secrecy and have him very quietly and then send him to live, you know, um, right. to be raised in the church, you know, as an orphan. And then she yeah. had a very proper marriage and had a legitimate son and brought him up and everything. So it's not just, you know, the kind of the fact that they hide and repress and don't speak about a giant wasp is sort of like a ridiculous metaphor for how, you know, that kind of buttoned up culture, you know, in Britain in the 1920s would kind of not speak about things which they thought were improper, that they would like, mm -hmm. you know, hide. Not that we don't do that today as well, but like, in particular, I think that culture yeah. would definitely sweep under the rug anything which was you know which didn't reflect you know in a good light on the family yeah. or on the person so you know something like you know an illegitimate child was something to see, to be hidden and ashamed of and unacknowledged um sure so it sure. kind of and not, fits and with the theme just, of the episode like i don't think that's just a british thing no. either i think that's that's you know a people true, thing yeah uh, <laughs> yeah well, yeah, and I, I think just the changing times has has made that different. But I think certainly in America, uh, that would be 
true as well yeah. probably a number of other countries it, perhaps even today in plenty of other countries you know especially yeah. more fundamentalist or traditional you know areas mm-hmm. uh you know that that sort of thing might be you know hidden um yeah you know those sorts of indiscretions or or whatever you want to call them whether you think those are indiscretions yeah. or not um yeah so, so they yeah. kind of make jokes about that like the doctor says she's british and moneyed that's what they do they carry on and she makes a right right lady edison says something later too like i'm british i'm ca- i carry on so um mm-hmm. yeah they yeah, they, yeah. they reference that a couple times so it seems like so. it kind of makes it palatable a little bit more that they would completely have this experience with a giant wasp and then not tell anybody because they don't tell anybody anything that they don't want the public to know. Like, your own public persona is often very divorced from your actual real person, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which kind of works with that. the Reverend and the giant wasp and the unicorn and Rubina Red and like everyone's and that works with the Agatha Christie stuff because everyone's got a motive and a secret and everyone's right. real self is completely different from the self which they're presenting, which is why they're all suspects in the murder. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well and right, and I was gonna say and and not that we necessarily want to go through the guests quite yet, um but but you get that in the interviews mm-hmm. or interrogations, whatever you might want to call them, uh, that the doctor has because you see each one having their little flashbacks, right? And yeah. um, you have Lady Edison who's yet yeah, taking her tea, <laughs> but she's actually having yeah. something a little bit stronger than tea. Yeah. Or you have, um, you know, the son, Roger, who goes off to meet yeah the the footman or whatever i wandered lonely is the proverbial cloud (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. uh yeah and they 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 each of them have their own uh the colonel with his uh you know reminiscences uh while looking at you know yeah the equivalent of porn at the time i guess whatever that you know the magazines that he was uh, flipping through. So, you know, those, those sorts of, uh, you know, those sorts of things sort of, sort of visually expressed, uh, yeah. What, what we hear in the, yes, I'm, I'm British. I carry on, uh, idea. Yeah, no. And I think that's why it works really well with the mystery genre is because it makes it the most interesting. If everyone a whodunit is only interesting if everyone has a reason for doing it. You know, like they have yeah. some secret that they need to protect. Right. Or they have a motive that they're trying to, like a goal that they're trying to achieve. They have some mm-hmm. reason why they could conceivably be behind the crime. Um, so having a very, I think the murder mystery, maybe that's why it flourished during that period. You know, like that's when... Agatha Christie and um, Dorothy Sayers and G.K. Chesterton and all those people were writing really great murder mysteries and detective stories is maybe because in a very, like, straight-laced society where people do have, you know, put a lot of stock in their sort of public appearance, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's easy to make a scenario in which um you know everyone is sort of looking guilty enough 
you know, to make yeah. like a really great list of suspects. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and this isn't too far removed from the Sherlock Holmes. Stuff exactly. Either. I yeah. Mean, you, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it, you know, again, that's a little bit, a little bit different, a little more science based, I suppose, than psycho psychology based, but, yeah. um, no, but definitely, you know, I, I think that's right. I, I think, yeah, there's, there's a, a very similar and, and not that, I mean, and not that there was no psychology in the Sherlock Holmes stuff and not there's that there's no science, you know, forensic type stuff in, in Agatha Christie or any of these others. I don't mean to imply that necessarily, but, but they do sort of seem to, to, um, one leans maybe more towards, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the science and the other towards psychology a little bit, but, but I think, um, sort of the reason I'm making that distinction though is, is because I wonder how much of that has to do with the rise of psychology as, right. you know, a sort of a legitimate pursuit with Freud and, and right. Jung, Cause you're also um, getting Freud in that period as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and kind of getting there, um, you know, perspectives on, on this. So it, so it becomes less, uh, less about, you know, how it was done and how we can, you know, sort of forensically look at things. And it becomes like, you're talking about more about the motives of people and, mm. and, um, you know, the things that are hidden, right. The, yeah. the psychological sort of reasons for why someone might have done something. And, and then using the sort of, you know, the, the Gordian knot approach to saying, well, you know, this is what makes the most sense and seems to be the simplest explanation for why someone might have done this. Yeah. And that's kind but, of what the doctor says about Agatha is that her stories are the best because her understanding of that psychology and the character motivation. Right. And that, Being able to cut through, yeah. uh, cut through that. And that's totally, I, I, yes, that's a reference again to the Gordian knot. I see, see what I did there. Um, anyway, no, um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, so yeah, so good stuff. I, uh, and, well, and I'm a sucker. So, I mean, not that I'm necessarily a sucker for murder stuff, but anything set in the twenties, I'm a huge F. Scott Fitzgerald <laughs> fan. Okay. So, yes, you know, any, yes. Anytime, anytime the word flapper is bandied about, yep. I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, in the period, um, this is, I always like when these, they do these really good period settings because that's what the BBC specializes in. So it always looks really great because they have great props and great costumes right. and everything. The right. period detail just always looks fantastic. So um, it's always nice to get a good, like, you know, early 20th or 19th century piece because, you know, it mm -hmm. just looks you know, uh, it, it's nice to have the BBC resources when you're doing something like that. Sure, um, sure, sure. Um, and again, with I think that's become a little bit of a between the Shakespeare Code and this. That's a little bit of a Gareth Edwards specialty or Gareth Roberts specialty too. Is like doing the um, the little period pieces, but also not doing them. Um, not going a hundred percent into the historical realism, putting enough of like the anachronisms, and so it yeah. looks period, <laughs> but it sounds modern. Like you're never really allowed to forget that this is a modern story. So he's kind of 
celebrating the period, but also kind of teasing it and having fun with it too. Um, right. So. Right. Um, and you always feel like uh, he's just, you know, kind of celebrating the things which he enjoys. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to make the most Shakespearean Shakespeare episode or the most like, <laughs> like, and I looked up on Wikipedia uh, the entry for this episode and they said like it became he and Russell Davies started to have a contest to see how many references they could fit in like just titles uh, that they wanted to so right, not right. even references like in the plot but just like literally how many titles can we squeeze right. in so could, could you say yeah so there's a lot that I would never have caught but there's certain ones like the body in the library N or M, like when they're looking at the piece of paper and trying to see if it oh, says yeah. N or M. Yeah, is that an N or um, M? Yeah. Uh, they do it with mirrors is apparently a title. Sparkling cyanide is a title. Uh-huh. Um, the moving finger, I like that. The moving finger points when he's like going through all the different suspects. Um, apparently yeah. there was oh. a deleted scene um, <laughs> referencing a story called The Man in the Brown Suit. So that would have worked with the doctor, but they uh-huh. deleted the scene. Um, and I think you picked up on this one that Miss um, Chandrakala, who's the maid who has the gargoyle fall and hit her on the head, um, mm-hmm. is um, taken from a scene from And Then There Were None. So, right. yeah, so there's a bunch, both in the plot and in just, like, dialogue, things that they just shoved in as many references as they could get in. Um, just, I guess, out of the sheer fun of it so (laughs) yeah yeah well and it is fine in this episode generally despite the fact of how many people get killed in it it is you know sort of meant to be a fun episode yeah no definitely and you get that sense um and yeah i so it's good that i picked up on the one reference from the only agatha christie book that i've actually read (laughs) um you know i suppose i should clap myself on the back for that yeah uh but you know you like uh her her stories just seem to be embedded in the culture at this point um yeah. not just british but you know any any sort of mystery um yeah you know work i'm sure has elements of things that she did um if if not was the first person to do which i'm sure you know there were plenty of, there was plenty of that at least uh probably did it better than many yeah and i feel like Um, i feel like if if um if poe sort of invented the detective story and then arthur conan doyle sort of perfected that with sherlock holmes i feel like what agatha christie really perfected was this idea of the whodunit of of not just mm. having a detective but having an ensemble cast of suspects who are all secluded in one place and that thing yeah. of the the clue scenario of everybody has a motive nobody and even like in um what makes and then there were none really interesting is that there is no detective is that it's they're on an island and everybody's mm-hmm. a suspect so you it's she finally did such a great whodunit that she took the detective out and you know right. did the story as just a murder mystery you know, without the benefit of a detective to guide you through all the suspects. Right, right. Having someone explain each step along the way. Yeah. So I think that's kind of 
to me, the big, um, and like you said, maybe she wasn't the first to do it, but she's certainly the most influential, I think. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so, so you feel, so yeah, I mean, obviously there were some, some specific references, um, you know, to clue the Colonel, Professor Peach, yeah. you know, Professor like, Peach in the library very, with the lead you know, piping. <laughs> yeah. Very, very oblique yeah. sort of things that, that seem to lead back, uh, mm -hmm you know, to those, but, uh, yeah, very interesting. Do you, do you want to talk about any of the specific, um, guests or, or, you know, including the hosts and, and, uh, them at all? Um, were there any you wanted to call out? Well, I mean, I think mostly what I would, what we kind of covered what I would say, which is that thing of them all having, you know, their own, secret i don't know that any of their secrets are that shocking or that interesting you know because lady edison's mm -hmm. got her uh her little tea you know service which is going on yeah. but then she also has the the the, the illegitimate, the illegitimate child <laughs> and the relationship with an alien wasp that you know is kind of unusual yeah um <laughs> um well and, you know and, and, and you do i i just want to stay there because you do like you were talking about sort of the metaphor of that and, and, and not only would, would it be taboo to have had a child and, um, you know, being single or at least, you know, with someone who you're not married to, yeah. uh, the, the, the further taboo would be sort of the intercultural, intercultural, uh, -huh. yeah. uh, you know, relate just a relationship, whether there was a child or not. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and, and, and of course you get this, that it, you know, it was when she was traveling, right. Yeah, it wasn't, in India. she was yeah. not yeah. In, in England. Um, and even though, I mean, the guy's clearly alien, yes. <laughs> um, you know, he, you know, there's just that, that sense of, yeah, like it, it adds an extra layer of of taboo mm -hmm. uh and 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 yeah, to the to the thing. So anyway, yeah. Continue. I just wanted to point that out. No, no, I think that's absolutely right. Um so, I mean, I don't know how uh interesting her husband's uh, just that he can walk and it's completely random and it has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. And, and it's like Agatha his doesn't insecurity, even get it right. Which, <laughs> right. It's his insecurity that yeah. keeps him from walking. It's like, what? Yeah. That's kind of, well, and it has no that's impact weirdly on and, any aspect of the story. Um, and just that, yeah. I love that moment of, um, I was going to say you were an innocent and he was like, okay should i sit down and yeah. everyone's like yeah okay you can sit down now like it's just everyone has to have a secret even if the secret is completely mm -hmm. unimportant to anything right. um right. you know it's sort of just required that they all have something that they're hiding um right right and then well yeah you know and sorry go ahead no i, I was just gonna say and like like you said not only is it i mean it's yeah, it doesn't really have anything to do with the plot, but it's just kind of like it's like weirdly manipulative and like why why did why would that of anything why would that you know because what is he say? he says he's he doesn't want to um, he doesn't want uh, Lady Edison to leave him and thought that by being sort of an invalid that she would stick around right, and right. not 
you know, or well, I guess he would be the one leaving because it's her estate, you know, right, but yeah. you know, whatever the like, it's just like, what? Like, yeah. how does that? Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Like, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> and that's so just random and bizarre. Yeah. Why would you think that that of anything would be the thing that she keeps you around for? Right. Like, you're, you're more of a burden than you would have been otherwise. But yeah. I guess, I guess, like you said, like, it would be him leaving so she would have to actively kick him out and maybe she can't bring right. herself to do that if he can't take care of himself or something. So it's more of the carry on. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, it's, it's he's a burden, but, you Suffer know, I can't silence. kick an invalid yeah. out of my house. Yeah. So yeah. I will, yeah. I guess that, um, that makes sense. Um, I suppose. Yeah. I, again, thinking of it as a different time and, and sensibilities. Yes. Sure. Um, um Roger and then and his Roger love and then Roger the son. Uh, <laughs> all the decent men are on the other bus, so he, he's got a secret <laughs> yes. too, which is not very <laughs> widely accepted in the time. Um, yeah, or Time Lords. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and uh, Rabina Redmond is the unicorn of the title again. Not one. I mean, the unicorn and the wasp has a nice ring to it, but the unicorn doesn't really have to do much with the story. You know, it's, you know, she's a jewel thief, and that's kind of as far as it goes. Um, so it turns out that she's this unicorn jewel thief, and she's impersonating um, uh, the Rabina, I guess, is a, some socialite who she's pretending to be. Although, it was interesting, I never picked up on this before, um... When she turns up to the party and is introduced, she mm -hmm. uses some of the same language that Donna does when she's trying to sound, period. She says, like, she says, like, spiffing or something, which is kind of what Donna said. And it's, like, almost a little clue that for her it's a, it's a role just like it is for Donna. Like, that she's not actually one of them. She's pretending to be one of them. Right, right. I don't know whether that right. was deliberate and, and or it's... not, but... Well, and it's the use of language, which, uh, you know, sort of is her downfall. Yeah. Um, in that respect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the use, of, the use of the word toilet. Yes, yeah. Right. She was really posh. She would say Lou. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Donna seems exceptionally uh, <laughs> excited about picking up on that aspect. Yeah. Um. Um, so I don't know that we need to go through all the characters. Greaves, um, I don't even know that he had a particular secret, did he? I, but we find out he's innocent. Um, sorry, who was that? Oh, Greaves. Oh, the, uh, butler. The butler. No, just that he's. You have to have a sinister butler, of course. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you get the you get the sort of the askance looks uh -huh. and, and stuff. Um, yeah. Kind of funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, so yeah, they're all there. They're all sort of cookie cutter, you know. Yeah, not, yeah, I think so. Not really extremely interesting in and of themselves, but I think you're right. It's it's sort of the ensemble. There's sort of a synergy, right, to that ensemble. Yeah. Um. And and yeah. So cool. And then, of course, the reverend turns into a giant wasp when he's angry. So that's his secret. Right. <laughs> of course. Of course. Slightly more unusual. 
Um, okay. Well, where should we go next? Well, I think, I think, so we've talked a little bit sort of about setting the mystery genre and sort of Agatha Christie as a writer, her impact. So how about her as a character? Okay. Uh, would be, I guess, the next sort of logical place to go. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not, you know, I I don't have any particular insight to her life and, and how the character differs or anything, but... Um, no, no, I don't either, actually. But but I like what they do here with uh, her character. So the, um, you know, basically, I guess the the... I don't know. Uh, you get sort of what you expect. So I don't, it, it's kind of hard. Cause like, I, I don't know that I can say anything real, um, real insightful other than just, yeah, you know, she's, she's smart and, and seems to be, uh, you know, both sort of different from the group yet, you know, still part of this you know group of guests and other people Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like she's in the era but 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 has that sort of special insight of someone who is more forward looking than sort of her peers or Mm. or other people around her um yeah kind of like again going back to gareth roberts again that's another similarity between this and the shakespeare code is is the the genius author who's sort of set apart by their insight into humanity a little bit you know doesn't there there's a few things like that in the shakespeare code where he has this sort of insight into the doctor for example because of his intuitive understanding of people you know and she kind of you know right at least the doctor thinks that she is the same way and i guess that's because she's a writer and interested in people and psychology and story and motive and all these things. So. Right. Right. Um, and so I, I, one thing that made me curious both times that I watched it was why does she pick out that little piece from the fireplace and sort of hide it, you know, from the doctor? Like, is that, are we meant to take that as sort of like a test of, you know, is this guy really who he says he is? Like, is she testing the doctor to see if he noticed and 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 then passes the test? And so, you know, she's kind of okay with working with him and kind of thing. Right. I don't know. I mean, I, I I don't know that I have come up with a good reason for why she does that initially. It seems sort of counterintuitive if you're working with someone to sort of hide that. Yeah, and um, maybe it is that kind of wait until she sees what kind of a person he is before she shares with him the clue, you know, that, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's a good question, but I hadn't really thought about it before. I, I mean, that would be sort of my guess is that it was a sort of test. And then later Mm -hmm. she brings it up. Well, Oh, you missed one important clue. And he's like, Oh, what that piece of paper you put in the fireplace? (laughs) (laughs) No, I saw you. I saw you in the glass of the bookcase (laughs) and whatever. And, and she's sort of impressed by that. Yeah. And from there on, you know, from then on, I mean, they, they, you know, sort of, I mean, he already trusts her, but she, you know, has that trust in him then at that point that he's yeah as good as he claims to be, you know, kind of thing. Right. Um, right. But then, 
I guess you do get a, a few little moments where you're not quite expecting. I mean, you get, I don't know. I, and expecting is probably the wrong word, but just sort of, you know, like when the doctor's sort of excited to be working with her and she chides him, yeah. you know, for, you know, this is a murder yeah. investigation. You should not be that happy right. uh, about it. And, right. And, and of I course guess the, he realizes he shouldn't be, but, yeah. uh, but he kind of can't help himself. But I guess yeah. it is that fuzzy line between um, a story and real life. Like, mm-hmm. like you said, like we enjoy this episode, even though there is a high body count, but like there is that, that line between the doctor and Donna um, kind of enjoying the, the fun of an Agatha Christie murder mystery, but Right. It's Agatha Christie who's saying, wait a minute, these are actually people who are dying, you know, even yeah. whether they're fictional characters or real people, it's still, you know, lives that are, you know, murder isn't necessarily something we should be enjoying and celebrating. Um, so she's kind of interesting that the author is there as the voice of, I guess, um, uh, not not the voice of reason what i don't know what word i'm looking for but the the voice telling the, them to a, sort of almost a moral yeah purpose, yeah you're right you know um which which i guess is almost it could be looked at as a callback even to sort of what donna was saying um in planet of the ood of of like i don't i don't know whether this is right or wrong or like quite how to feel about this stuff, you know? And, and we sort of see the doctor here, like, like, yeah, we don't, we don't think the doctor is, is, um, you know, gonna be, you you know, we don't think he's intentionally like (laughs) saying, Oh, this is fun or anything, but, but we have seen before sort of the, you know, he, he does try to have fun or at least get something out of each, situation that he's in Mm -hmm. you know fun may not be the exact right word but uh you know he he that's why he travels around to have interesting experiences and and this is another interesting experience whether yeah whether you and and want to like it or not (laughs) well and and that makes me uh two things that makes me think of one is like donna's uh i love I love when the doctor and Agatha are going through all the suspects and Donna's just like sitting back eating popcorn. Like she's watching a movie like this is, and she's guessing along like you do at home on the couch going, Oh, it's her. No, no, it's not her. Oh, it's her. You know, like trying to figure it out and getting told to like, no, it's not her. Shut up. And like popping (laughs) whatever nuts she's eating or whatever. Um, so her kind of like, I like the way she kind of literally sits back as if it's like a TV show that she's watching. Um, yeah. And she's just having sort of a good old time. Um, right. And- well, and, and contrast that with, you, you mentioned all the fingers the doctor's pointing. You're, you're getting the idea that he's just, he's just pointing at everyone. Like yeah. he's going to come up with something to say yeah. about everyone. Well, and that's, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter. Like he's just, having fun with the situation. Um, well, and that's what I was thinking of the doc. Like, I guess if Donna's enjoyment is kind of as a spectator, um, or like a, like almost as an audience figure, the doctor is much more involved. Like 
his reaction to realizing they're in an Agatha Christie murder mystery is to become a part of the world. So he immediately is Chief Inspector Smith of Scotland Yard. Like, he casts himself right, right. as the detective, you know. And, um, right. like, he's if they're going to do this, then he's going to be Poirot and, you know, run the show. And, you know, and like you said, like, he totally enjoys being the one with the moving finger that's going to point to all the people. And it's like he's milking it just because this is what you do in this genre and, oh, isn't this fun? So, mm -hmm. right. like, I think you're right. Like, I don't think that either of them, I clearly, we don't believe that either of them are callous or uncaring towards the victims. But both of them also kind of have a self-awareness that they're in a genre mm -hmm. and a story mm -hmm. and they're having fun with that and enjoying it too. Right. 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 Which is and, kind of interesting. And and, and it's interesting and that Agatha people... doesn't really act that way. She, even though she's the right. author of these stories, she almost acts the, the least like, like a caricature of that genre, like in most, right. like an actual person would respond. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, even even more so than the, even more so than the Doctor and Donna do. Um, right, right, yeah. No, they're they're very much at the you know murder mystery dinner theater. Yeah, kind yeah, of thing. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, they're playing um, like those. Have you ever played those? Um, yeah, murder mystery parties where you get like a game and everyone right, gets right. cast yeah, characters. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I've done one in my. Time. I I did one of. Um, I, I might have done two actually, but yeah, they are fun. Well, you're better than me, but no, um, the, <laughs> no, they're clearly, yeah, they're clearly having fun with it. Um, but yeah, it's, and, and it's funny because like of all the other characters, Agatha Christie seems to be more serious about it than any of the others as well. Right. Like she, yeah. I mean, not that the others are necessarily not serious, but, but there is a sort of, um, dramatic flair to some of the you know ways that the others like the you know the gasping and the you yeah. know uh the <laughs> one of the moments is when when uh the doctor suggests that their soup might be poisoned and they all they all do like the pull away like yeah. no you know <laughs> what you know yeah. and or you know eyeing their spoons um yeah they're they, you know just sort of in the way that they're that they're being played is is seems a little overly dramatized but you're yeah. right like christy agatha christy is not she she's pretty straight with it and and provides that perspective of yeah this is a real situation here we're not people are actually dying so let's kind of at least try to take it a little seriously yeah which um, kind of makes sense if you think about what the resolution ends up being with um that the wasp the the whole technobabble explanation of so when he became angry it triggered whatever the transformation was and it beamed information in from the firestone which because lady edison was reading her book at the time it imported all this information into his head which right, is right. a very convoluted way of saying that all of this is self-consciously a story that mm -hmm. he has mm -hmm. 
a scenario which he has devised based on her books. So it actually kind of works that everyone is acting in a really stereotypical manner. And it kind of makes sense that the author is the only one who's exempt from that. Because everyone else is a character in her story. Which is because mm-hmm. of the mechanics of the plot. Um, so right, she's the right. only one who's kind of able to sort of be above Rise that. Above yeah, and, yeah. you know, and function almost as like a real person rather than as just a character in the story. Like even the Doctor and Donna don't seem totally out of the confines of the genre and everything. Whereas Agatha might mm-hmm. be the only one who is. Um so Yeah, yeah. It's kind of it's kind of interesting that like that she does act differently than everybody else. Like the way that the actress approaches it seems to even be different than the other actors and yeah. everything. Yeah. No, definitely. Um hmm. Um so I want to make sure we have at least a couple minutes for the Doctor and Donna. Um but the one yeah. other thing I want to bring up with Agatha is the continuation which we've had for a couple weeks now of this theme of memory. Um and because she loses her memory uh-huh. at the end and again this right. goes back to that period I mean who can say whether she really lost her memory or whether this is Agatha being very 1920s and not wanting to talk about whatever happened to her yeah. in real life. Or, or it, if it was intentional, a stunt of some exactly. Kind. I, I yeah. saw that as a, as one potential theory. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, she was trying to drum up sales or something. Yeah. you know, for her books. So yeah, I mean, who can say? But in this story, anyway, um, they make it that she's had her memory wiped and doesn't remember what happened to her, and she's got this sort of mm-hmm. gap. Um, so you know, and so you get the little, you know. Uh, philosophical discussion at the end of, you know, what it means to be remembered and, and you yeah. know, that yeah, yeah. her not being able to remember her own experience contrasted with her being remembered in, you know, the legacy of great authors and that her books are still published. And that's yeah. a real cover, by the way, of an Agatha Christie with book B. with the big B. Um, so another, another nice little tie in, um, to her stories. In the year 5 billion, she'll still be being read. (laughs) Facsimile edition. So, Um, um, yeah. So hmm. another nice little nod to that running team going here. I'll be honest. I, I did not even pick up on that as, I mean, it's clear. You're right. The, the theme of memory and, Again, referring back to the Ood, um, mm-hmm. you know, in, in sort of particular. Uh, and the doctor's daughter last week, too. And the doctor's daughter. Was the other yeah, one yeah. I was thinking of. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no, that's interesting. I hadn't picked up on that progression there. So thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> You're I don't welcome. know that. I, yeah, I don't know that I have anything intelligent to say about it because I'm literally just now based on your description, <laughs> realizing it. it exists. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that's um, what I'm here to, for, so. I'll, I'll, I'll have to think about okay. that and, 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 and I guess see if, if that continues. Um, <clears throat> okay. Well, let, let's talk about 
the doctor and Donna. Oh, so um, one other connection actually that I, that I realized while we were talking was um, you get the reference back to the, uh, uh, the Carol, Carrionites. Carrionites, yeah. Uh, when he's yeah, pulling yeah, stuff yeah. out of the trunk. Yeah. Um, his his C box. <laughs> yeah, his C box. Which you're like, wow, okay. Well, so, okay, the C box. So then immediately you think, okay, there's at least 26 boxes mm-hmm. for each of the letters of the alphabet. But then you think, hmm, how many languages does he know? Yeah. And does he have boxes for the beginning letters, you know, for letters that, begin in each of those languages yeah. and we don't know how big the TARDIS is he very easily could have boxes you know I'd, uh, Gallifrey had its own sort of script right and and language did uh, it not? Yeah, they have um, Gallifrey and has a yeah they, those that yeah. circular kind of writing is supposed yeah. to be their so writing I, you yeah. know maybe he has plenty of boxes marked with Gallifrey and yeah. script yeah. as well I don't know who knows what the doctor's file system yeah. organizational yeah. system might look like but well i do think that, that... those boxes are i'm sure bigger on the inside and probably his little <laughs> storage area underneath you know the yeah. crates of the tardis probably goes down a long way so <laughs> yeah yeah well and and there are other rooms in the tardis where many there are rooms also maybe crates yeah. in the bottom yeah no he has uh, whole below decks, he might he so probably has whole storage units down there filled yeah. with these things yeah. so i wouldn't put it past yeah. him um <laughs> that's funny <laughs> uh anyway so yeah so the doctor uh we'll start with him and hopefully have time to talk about donna too yeah I, well and i think i mean okay so we already sort of talked about sort of his enjoyment of of the the stuff and and we we do see him a little more um he's a little less serious maybe than uh he is in other episodes at times mm-hmm. not that not that he's always serious or anything yeah. um certainly but like yeah you do sort of because i think F- agatha christie is the serious one here yeah. um we we do get to see the doctor and donna sort of um you know both able to to let loose a little bit more yeah uh and nothing says let loose like the scene in the kitchen <laughs> where he's uh having to counteract yeah. the um the cyanide from his yeah. champagne uh i'm glad you like that scene and that was just absolutely hilarious um very interesting to me was um something i did not pick up on the first time uh, but then the second time that I watched it absolutely rung out like a bell to me uh, because in the interim between the two, I rewatched with my daughter, um, who's who we just finished uh, series one. So I've now seen all of series one again uh, with her. Nice. Uh, and we watched the first Christmas special. Uh, mm. And there's the scene in there where... Uh, so in that scene, it, which is Tennant's first appearance, of course, other than, you know, the very end of, of Bad Wolf, um, yeah. it, it, it's his first appearance. But there's there's the moment where he wakes up and he goes out to the balcony and uh, he starts. Um, there, there's the scene with with Jackie where he's like, oh, I need, yeah. I need, I need. And Jackie's like, 
I so hadn't really you know, made rapid fire, that. Yeah. you know, giving all of these suggestions <laughs> of what he needs. And, and I, I did not pick up on that the first time, but the second time, having just watched that episode, the Christmas uh, special, yeah. the Christmas invasion, um, it, it totally, I was like, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. It, they're, they're very similar, very yeah. different. Um, and in that instance, he doesn't get what he needs because it's not till later that, um, the tea spills and he gets the you right. know, vapors to, to, to revive him. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, no, anyway. So just to point out that there's that sort of connection there too, but I think this, this scene in the kitchen with the doctor and Donna is, is much funnier and much yeah. uh, better done, um, than that one. And, and it just, the height of sort of prop and, and, physical comedy yeah uh you know um without getting completely slapstick you know what i mean like it it just the charades and the trying to like i need like he he needs to he needs to he needs protein but then that means that he has his mouth full so we can't explain what else he needs so like that kind of (laughs) right right just the 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 sense of urgency but also his, uh, you know, aghastness, I guess, at Donna's misunderstanding and and like the completely bizarre things that she comes up with. Well, and um, like it is that thing that you do when playing charades, like you know, yeah. it's uh, a one word, and then somehow she gets to cocktails. So Harvey Wallbanger and his like, how is Harvey Wallbanger one word? Like you're dying, <laughs> right. but you still right. find time to completely say like what are you even thinking this doesn't make any sense and you do that sort of stuff when you're playing charades like you don't even think about like what you're saying you're just shouting out nonsense um and and one of the things i was thinking of because once again we get the other running gag of we're not a couple Mm. um but that's totally a couple thing yes right it's that you know we've been together so long how could you possibly think i was you know saying this one thing why would i ever think that well, you should know be and, better and than his that? criticalness of her not just of how is harvey wallbanger one word but um go get me salt what's that salt <laughs> well it's too salty <laughs> like yeah yeah no they like well you said you needed salt no they do have yeah. kind of a they do have kind of an old married couple dynamic yeah um yeah and of, or at least like middle age yeah. like it's not like it's no, not like yeah you know, maybe that's unfair, ancient or but... anything but it's like yeah we've been together long enough to know that you should yeah you know be able to read my mind kind of yeah. thing yeah and <laughs> and to niggle at each other about you know petty petty <laughs> yeah. things when there's yeah. something really important going on but they still find time to be like completely <laughs> frustrated with each other um and then of course <laughs> you know uh the other thing with we're not a couple is he needs a shock. So of course, big shock right. coming up and you yeah. know, right. And, and you're thinking electrical shock of some kind. <laughs> Probably at, at least was I was, I was, I, right. I was thinking of, of like, you know, rip the cord from the light socket and stick yeah. it in me yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, all right. Here's a shock. Yeah. Yeah. And there we go. And for them, that is a big shock. So, Hey, it works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the great, great scene. Um, yeah. And again, uh, I mean, I talked about back when, um, we did partners in crime that 
every week wasn't going to be that kind of high comedy, but clearly this is another opportunity. Like, mm -hmm. when, when you have these two together, you do want to have these, like, really hilarious scenes because they're so good yeah. together. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. you know, this is another... This and Partners in Crime are probably the two episodes with them where it is sort of high comedy and fun, you know, and they are mm -hmm. kind of at their most ridiculous and comedic the whole way through, so. Right, right. They do a good job. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I mean, getting beyond that <laughs> and, the, and the sort of the other stuff that we've talked about already, I don't know that I have a lot more to say about them because it, it really is, you know, sort of one of those, okay, here, here's a period piece. Mm -hmm. Um, he, you know, at the end he does say, well, we've, we've figured out what the mystery was and, and there's that sort of paradoxical element to it. Although, you know, the paradox of them being there doesn't cause, uh, her, her amnesia per se. It's actually their saving of her in a way right. and, and, and their interference in the situation that, um, allows her to can continue living and writing and becoming that great. Uh, although she's, you know, she's clearly recognized here. I think they mentioned she's written six books at this point, uh -huh. you know? So, I mean, still very early in her career. I don't yeah. know how many she writes ends up writing altogether, but I mean, I'm not sure, you know, you, you would have to wonder if, I mean, obviously in real life, she wasn't harassed by this gigantic <laughs> bee thing, but you know, in, within the world of Dr. Who, had she been killed by it, you know, at this dinner party, along with all of the other guests. Yeah. Would her name have lived on? Right. You know, and that's sort of the point at the end of, you know, she does go on to not only, not only to become a great famous person, but to have a fulfilling and, and wonderful life. Yeah. Right. You know, it's, 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 there's both the, the aspect of, she does find another person who ends up being a loving, caring, you know, yeah. person that she can spend the rest of her days with and, and happily spend the rest of her days with. Um, while also, you know, continuing to be one of the best well-known writers until the year 5 billion. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so had they not been there, that never could have happened. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they literally, well, it seems that that never would have happened. That that seems to be the implication that yeah. they do they do help with that. Um, Donna in particular, because uh, it, I guess if the sort of the biggest thing is is her willingness to not not give the chance that the doctor wants to give to uh, the bee, the wasp slash reverend you know, whatever yeah. he is. Um, when she takes the thing and throws it in the water and says, how do you get rid of a pest? You throw water on it. <laughs> yeah. you know? I mean, that's, that just seems to be her, the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I guess I'm, I'm a little interested in the doctor's chagrin at that point. Um, yeah. He, it almost seems, I, you know, you have to wonder how, how far would he have let it go? You know, because I mean, I don't think he would have wanted Agatha Christie to die, but she was clearly, you know, in that being trapped by that insect's 
whatever the power you know the link yeah. the telepathic link between the two of them yeah so like i don't know it's just kind of weird because he seemed to be okay with letting that continue <laughs> uh beyond the point where it was maybe safe for right Agatha well i don't know would you've known how to stop it because it kind of is implied that she only really i mean it's donna that drowns the wasp but beyond mm -hmm. that the wasp just lets her go so there's kind of a sense that i don't know what else the doctor could have done to help her if if the wasp hadn't made the decision to not take her down with him i guess that's kind of the implication for me yeah no i i don't know either but it's the wasp was clearly trying to kill them yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean so it wasn't like had donna not thrown it into the thrown the necklacing into the water like the wasp would have probably killed agatha christie right, right you know um yeah no so I, no I, and, I, and I, I mean that's the sense that i get and and the doctor in trying to save the wasp was clearly putting agatha christie in in mortal danger mm -hmm. or allowing her to can i mean he wasn't putting her in it but at least wasn't saving her from it yeah um which is not typically the role that we see the doctor in. He is usually trying to be the one to save people. Yeah, yeah. Um, Although we have had those times where he sometimes does indirectly endanger people by allowing, by, by maybe trying to show compassion towards the alien. Occasionally mm -hmm. that results in... Um, indirectly endangering somebody else you know so that's yeah that's which kind seems of to be new. yeah yeah which seems to be right right it seems to be that's the case here as well mm -hmm. so yeah so maybe maybe i'm yeah hmm. i don't know that's interesting it's kind of a running theme i would say um yeah so i guess but donna doesn't have that sort of Qualm. no <laughs> uh she's no donna donna has compassion but she also knows her limits and knows what she thinks and when it's time right. to just get it over with right and she does and it works yes. out so that's good uh but yeah hmm. um wow any uh, final words we we ended up going over we did bit, um okay. the only thing i want to mention was um just because it's a fun little uh easter egg to realize i don't know if you uh picked up on this or if you saw it in my notes or anything but um when the doctor first meets agatha and they're excited to meet her he says i was just talking about you the other day i said i bet she's brilliant and i don't know if you remember what when martha's leaving and he's trying to convince martha to stay like where should we go next? We're going to do all these things. And one of the things he says in Last of the Time Lords is, I'd love to meet Agatha Christie. I bet she's brilliant. So that's one of his oh. suggested places to huh. go to, with Martha is, let's go meet Ag Agatha Christie. So I, I don't remember that. But so that's next time you watch Last of the Time Lords, keep your eye out for it because it is in there. So hmm. a little, hmm. little, uh, precursor of where we were headed but that was the only yeah. thing other thing unless you had anything i think we can uh transition over to buffy let's do it okay um slightly less fun 
<laughs> yeah, this was not a particularly fun episode no. by any no. any means. No, um, and we not. actually so so we should point out that very you know we're we're very often surprised and and excited when we find um, that the episodes sync up fairly well. Yeah, I guess we have to admit. Than when they don't particularly sync yeah. up very well. Um, not that I, I mean these are both good episodes, but they're they don't just have a lot in common. Yeah, thematically very very different. So um, yeah, eh, that's okay. <laughs> well, they both have the themes of murder and you know investigations <laughs> and everything. So there's some fair, overlap. Fair but, enough. Fair enough. But uh, a little bit. And of I a think stretch. I think I think the Doctor Who may, might be a nice palate cleanser after the. After the mm. darkness of consequences. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I guess the best way to do this is to just uh, start with Faith and kind of go through yeah. her journey through the episode. Because before we started recording, we were kind of talking about how she starts out the episode in a pretty bad way, you know, considering where we left her last time. You know, and clearly, you know messed up and in a dark place but i think mm -hmm. sympathetic too you know we realize it was an accident you know we feel pity or sympathy for her and then sure. it's just a downward spiral from there you know that mm. the the sympathy that you feel becomes less and less each time uh you see her and because each time she meets a new character she sort of takes a new tactic so you start to realize it's not just she's someone who's made a mistake and, and is in trouble. She's digging her own hole because rather than admitting the mistake and accepting help, she is, you know, trying to get out of it without the titular consequences, you know? So it's like mm -hmm. every person she meets, she's starting to change herself to, you know, be the person... Be whatever it is she thinks will get her out of it. Um, right, which, by right. extension, means that she knows what she did and is in some control over her own actions. You know, she's not just mm -hmm. out of control and um, and scared or, you know, uh, asking for help. It's she's actively trying to, um, you know, shirk responsibility for her actions. Right, um, right. Which, kind of implicates her more and more. Um, so yeah. she does not end up looking very good in the, by the end of the episode. And, you know, we'll get to that. But the by the end of the episode, it goes so far that she's actively, you know, seemingly um, hooking up with the villain, you know. So not yeah. only is it uh, attempting to get out of the responsibility of what she did, but now she's intentionally you know joining up with people she knows are very bad right. which is not good <laughs> it, especially given her comment about the mayor um when she says oh you know who knew that the 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 mayor of sunnydale was a black hat yeah right yeah. and right so there she's under no delusion that she's that that he's on the right side you know, it's not right. like she's deceived about that. She seems to know what right. she's doing well, and is just going. It's almost like because she's afraid to face 
the consequences of what she did, then in for a in for a lamb, in for a sheep, or whatever the thing is. You know, like it, it's like right, right. Uh, what's the thing? I can't think of. And in, 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 in for a penny, in that's for a pound what I'm thinking is the of. Way I've always yeah, heard I, it, but yeah, I don't know what I'm thinking. I'm sure of. there's multiple variations, but yeah, something like that. Um, but like it's like if she if she's gonna make this mistake and murder somebody accidentally, then well, then I might as well throw up my hands and go, you know, join up with the big bad of the season almost. You know, like, yeah. because she can't admit having done anything wrong, therefore she has to do everything wrong. It's like one of those weird, like, you know, you know people like that who, like, can't... It's some sort of, like, denial of any guilt means that they have to just go all the way towards... Yeah. 100% guilt. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good that's a good thought. I guess um there's a couple things that I would sort of say to that. One is there's there's a very well, I guess okay. So since we already jumped to the end of the episode, um That's what it is. Hold on, she, hold on. I have to might as well be hung for a sheep as for a lamb. That's what one I'm thinking of, which is basically it's basically oh, okay. in for a penny and for a pound. Anyway, yeah, that was going to drive me um, crazy. So <laughs> the so at the end of the episode, she basically goes to the mayor and says, well, I hear you have a job opening. Yeah. And he like invites her into the office. Yeah. And, and that's that. Um, presuming that she is getting some sort of job offer at that point. Um, so, yeah, the 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 question is. Whose job is she taking? Well, I think it's interesting that she says, I hear you have a job opening. And it's like, well, yeah, because you killed both of his right-hand men. <laughs> like, of course he has a right. job opening. Right. You took care of that. So, yeah. So I assumed it was Alan's or Trick's or both um, that she's, well, I mean, and, and I, I guess we won't I think know until bit, we see. And I think it's meant to be a bit ambiguous. A little ambiguous. Right. I mean, those are... Those are the two. So there's, right, they're, they're his two right-hand men. One of them is the public figure, uh-huh. and one of them is the non-public yeah, sure. figure, right? Yeah. It, it, it's the, the, the heavy, or whatever you want to call uh-huh. them. So, yeah, like, we don't we don't necessarily know at this point, but... Right, does that mean she becomes, like... The Alan, like the 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 face of his political dealings, or does that does she become the trick? Does she become like the silent assassin who does the dirty dealings? You know, um, takes care of his dirty laundry and then you know doesn't speak about it, kind of thing. Well, and and the sort of the psychological aspects of those is if she's replacing Alan, is it because she's feeling guilty? You're right. You know, or if she's replacing Trick, is it because she's the ruthless killer? Right. So, like, like there's sort of implicate. Oh, and if and if it's both, then is both. it because she's yeah. feeling both yeah. of those yeah. things? You know, um, but I I I sort of wanted to mention that because we do get both aspects from her in in the episode. We get the we are better than everyone. You know, mm-hmm. we we deserve to whatever. You know, Alan, he was a nobody no one's gonna weep for him you know he's just a little peon who was in the wrong place at the wrong time 
but then we also get her looking at the picture of him and yeah you know saying he came out of nowhere yeah well you are kind of you know okay not weeping but yeah you're reminiscing or thinking you know how did this happen or why did this happen there's clearly something more going on inside your head so i don't think i mean and and again i think we're supposed to see this as a complicated sort of thing with her it's not it's not easy to say one way or the other um she does seem to be sort of using the uh you know we're better than everyone as a rationalization Mm. rather than but then again we have at other times heard her say you know we shouldn't be doing these things that normal people do we're slayers were killers you know let's go out and slay and kill <laughs> you know yeah uh see take want or whatever the the wait what what was the oh yeah the three words i the, see i anyway. i want i take yeah 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 and and so you know it's like that's it's not that surprising that she would sort of have that what's surprising i think is the extent to which we see that she's sort of now embracing it um you know, before yeah. it was about killing the demons and stuff. And now she has had that taste of blood and, and sort of as Giles explains, you know, it's, it's not, um, it's not easy. <laughs> you know, we, we have to tread carefully here because it's not something that she can easily sort of just come back from. Yeah. And, and, and she does seem to be allowing herself to get sucked into sort of a maelstrom of, you know, um, well, it's like it's like she's had to eat her own words a little bit because you didn't you didn't get the mm-hmm. sense before she might have felt like we are better and we the rules don't apply to us, but you didn't necessarily feel that that extended to killing innocent people. Just you know whatever she felt like doing, you know, robbing right. someone or skipping, you know, getting Buffy to skip school or you know that she had sort yeah. of a certain level of rule breaking, which she was not which was not a problem but then once she's sort of accidentally killed someone it's almost like this is the moment money where your mouth is time you know and kind of and and she kind of starts to apply that same logic to these more weighty serious moral issues and instead of instead of stepping back from that and saying maybe i was wrong you know maybe I, you know, shouldn't have said those things. Maybe I should rethink what my duties are. She goes the other way and says, not only is it true, but it's true even about these very serious... It's true in Mm -hmm. every sense that no rules apply to me. I can do whatever I want, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and I think... um... You know, sort of in a similar vein, we've seen her or heard her talk about uh, like her, you know, her comments about men, all men are beasts, Mm. you know, kind of thing. Uh, Now, now that's sort of morphed into everybody has their dark side, right? Because she's not surprised that the mayor or at least claims not to be surprised that the mayor is a black hat. You know, everyone, everyone has their evils, Mm -hmm. uh, evil side so to speak. And so now this is almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy of, yeah. of her coming out and, and saying, well, everyone has the evil side, even me. And yeah. I might as well embrace it. Yeah, no, she's definitely, 
she started out pretty cynical, but it's coming to this kind of um, misanthropic, you know, just a very, very, you know, dark view of everybody, including herself. Like, it started out just as men are pigs, and that extended to, you know, all people are bad, and now, you know, like you said, mm -hmm. even me, you know, and, and I might as well embrace it and have fun. You know, like, she right. comes... She starts to not just deny that she does bad things, but actually to enjoy the fact that she does the bad things. You know, like, yeah. you kind of even get the sense... Like, you couldn't really have imagined when we first met Faith with as kind of, um, re you know, kind of reckless as she seemed. You wouldn't have imagined her doing to Xander what she does in this episode, right? Like, that would have yeah. seemed like a really... Yeah. shocking thing not only does she do that she seems to enjoy it and seems to she like she would have gone the whole way and she wasn't just toying around that she would have killed him if yeah. angel hadn't stopped her yeah if angel hadn't been yeah. there it definitely seems like she would have done on purpose what she did accidentally yeah. last episode right. you know and, and killed someone so it kind of shows uh, like how far down that road she's gone that not only does she do you know violent things and then deny responsibility but she's getting to the point where she enjoys the violence yeah and and to someone who is much more innocent like you can like she even rationalizes in this episode that alan was not altogether a good guy yeah. and he was working with, for the mayor um we don't know really the extent of Alan's involvement, but we see the mayor, uh, you know, shredding a bunch of stuff. So yeah. there's certainly an implication that Alan at least knew or had records about things that were going on that, um, you know, he, he knew were bad. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and his fear of the mayor, his sort of comical, <laughs> you know, fear of the mayor certainly implied that he, he knew plenty of the things that the mayor was involved in at least. Um, so you, can, even if even if we can say well you know slayers should only stick to killing demons and stuff yeah. we can at least sort of rationalize it and see her rationalizations there there's no rationalization well not for and not what only, she does to zan not only a difference of innocence between the two but a different quality of the murder because at least with alan it was an accident whereas right. xander it's there's nothing accidental about what she's doing. It's yeah, completely no, hundred percent. She's going to kill him because he annoyed yeah. her. Basically, yeah, it's it's cold blooded it and calculated, to. and you know, and done yeah. it out of self interest. You know, so she can't yeah. even hide behind that it was dark and he jumped well, out of nowhere, or you know. Yeah, and I don't. I mean, I don't know how calculated, but it's it's certainly certainly malicious and. And not like premeditated, you, you her, but I just mean, I just mean deliberate that. Right. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. She seems to be, she definitely has slipped over any sort of line of restraint. Yeah. Uh, that she's willing to place on herself, mm -hmm. uh, which seems to be the only restraint that was working at any point in time, yeah. because she certainly doesn't seem to listen to anyone else yeah. unless it suits her. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And go, jumping way back to the beginning of the episode, you know, you sort of see the beginnings of that in her agreement to do uh, what Wesley wants her to mm -hmm. do. 
when we've already seen her say to Buffy, screw that guy. I'm not yeah. going to listen to anything he says. And now he's su- she's suddenly like, oh, yeah, it's okay. We'll do what you want. Yeah. You should know that something is suspicious yeah. at this yeah. point. Um, you know, she's acting strange for some right, reason. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, very, very dark what Faith goes through here. Um, yeah. And, and uh, uh, I mean, clearly, very clearly a sort of a turning point episode. I mean, I obviously I don't want to say anything about where it goes from here or, or what happens. But, mm. um, you know, like we saw with Xander a few weeks ago in, in the Zeppo, you know, where he sort of has his turning points. We're, we're seeing a similar sort of thing yeah. here, I think, with Faith. Um, yeah, and interesting that the two kind of follow one on the other, that the Zeppo being mm. the encounter that that they have together. Um, and yeah. this being a, another consequence of that, you know, that right. that Xander right. kind of puts himself forward as the one to go talk to her because of what happened in the Zeppo, um, yeah. which is sort of the catalyst for Angel having to knock her out and try to talk some sense into to, into her. Um, right. So, yeah, so the two kind of follow pretty closely on each other. Um, yeah. And I do like... It is interesting kind of from the character to see, I kind of wanted to go through her different uh, encounters with the various other characters because I Mm -hmm. think you can see a lot about, I think I used the word before we started recording sociopathic because she does seem to be very in control and um, like emotionless in the sense that she, you know, can turn the, the emotion on and off when it suits her, like you said, and... So you start to wonder about the yeah. sincerity of anything. Um, so to start kind of with Buffy, it seems to me that it's a very much a bullying kind of relationship. That, you know, she tries a few different things, but it all comes back to her trying to control Buffy to get, you know, because clearly Buffy just wants to tell and wants to come clean and wants to get help, all these things that Faith doesn't want. So... Yeah. Whatever yeah. she can do to stop Buffy from doing that. So trying to talk her into believing that they are better, um, you know, kind of trying to sort of peer pressure her onto her side. You know, mm-hmm. she she kind of mocks Buffy's emotion about what's going on. You know, she kind of implies that, you know, she's kind of weak and stupid for feeling sorry for Alan in the first place that, you know, that Buffy should kind of be ashamed of that emotion. Um, And, you know, and eventually um, when she probably realizes none of this is going to work, she tries to just put all the blame on Buffy, you know, to just scapegoat her entirely, you know, or, you know, and even before that, she basically threatens her with that, that you can't say anything because you're involved in it too. And we're in this together. So all these different things to keep Buffy, you know, subdued and silent and, you know, to stop her from telling anybody. So, um, that kind of shows you what she thinks of Buffy really, you know, even though Buffy's, you know, they haven't had the closest relationship, but Buffy's gone out of her way to try to, 
be inclusive of Faith, to be supportive of her. She's not always, you know, 100% successful in that, but I think she's made yeah. an effort. And Faith clearly has very little, if any, respect for Buffy, um, at least at this well, point. Yeah, and it's interesting. So I think you're right that it's a progression. She she goes from like sort of cajoling and and you know trying to convince her to mocking her and 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 outright arguing yeah. to you know the the threats and and the uh, eventual betrayal. Um, and and yeah, the progression is definitely there. Uh, you'll. I, I sort of get the sense that, you know, going along with everything we said about Faith a few minutes ago, that she's trying, in, in trying to convince herself, mm. she almost sees Buffy as, as a, as a, you know, um, she's looking to Buffy to con- sort of confirm uh, that everything is okay. Yeah. And Buffy's not confirming that. Yeah. And, and you sort of get the sense that if, you know, Faith, Faith is thinking that if she can get Buffy to to say, you know what, you're right, you know, we are better or, you know, it's okay or whatever, that then Faith could sort of live with herself. Mm-hmm. So even, even right. as... Right, so maybe that is a could, weird kind of respect. Yeah, well, or just... Yeah, maybe it's respect or maybe it's it's even just looking for some internal validate or external validation because yeah. she can't find it internally. <laughs> um, although eventually I guess she sort of comes to the conclusion on her own, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how far we can take that necessarily, but that's sort of how I see that as, as it, you know, her, her just trying to get Buffy's approval, which would then assuage her own sort of conscious uh, conscience. I mean, um, because she does seem to have, again, that moment, especially when she's looking at the picture and stuff, that moment of conscience where, you know, he yeah. just came out of nowhere. You know, again, almost trying to absolve herself. Yeah. Um, which the interesting thing is, if if they had gone to Giles and whatever, then it could have been Giles telling Faith, these things happen. Yeah. You know, and that's whatever. But she doesn't. She refuses. And then when she does go to Giles, she blames it on Buffy. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you could yeah. you could have had exactly what you were looking for, yeah. assuming that that's what she was looking for, which it seems to me like she was. So, yeah. Um, yeah I mean that. No, I think you're right that that progression definitely exists and. You know, for whatever reason, and until the end, when she finally sort of breaks away and and goes to the mayor or whatever, it does seem like she's trying to use any means that she can to convince Buffy uh, mm-hmm. that what she did was okay or or yeah, you know, whatever. Um. So yeah, uh, we sort of talked about uh, Faith and Xander a bit. Mm. Um. Any anything more to say about them? I I mean they just sort of have the one encounter. Well, um, uh, here I I wanted to say one or two things about Giles and Xander too. Um, I mean, I guess going in order about Giles. Um, interesting that. I mean, I was pretty shocked that she, you know, 
sold Buffy out that blatantly. Um, and yeah. very relieved and pleased that Giles didn't buy it for one minute. So that was sure. You know, um, sure. A nice little. We, we, you know, we've, we've seen Giles a couple times in not so good lights. It's good to see that he's still mostly, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> able to support Buffy and, and get behind her. And, oh, yeah. And, yeah. No, I mean, whatever Giles flaws are and he doesn't even have I, I think he's he's he comes off pretty well generally um but he's definitely yeah. um he and Buffy are definitely in sync and he can tell he knows um that Buffy would have you know I, well I mean maybe he wouldn't necessarily know how Buffy would react if this happened but at least he knows Faith well enough to see through Faith um right so it's, you know, I was glad that it didn't go down the route of Buffy being framed for the murder. Like, I'm, I'm glad that that lasted for all of 10 seconds. <laughs> and then you right. realize Giles knew the whole time and he's just sort of playing along. So I thought that was a nice little reveal. Um, mm -hmm. with, with Xander, I mean, I guess just, again, like that is a pretty, another pretty shocking and just kind of uncomfortable rough scene to watch and interesting yeah. too the kind of the the little things you don't expect like like we said it being a callback to sort of the zeppo but now you know when she starts to kind of try to seduce him it's not sexy like it was before it's just sort of right a little right. sad kind of pathetic and eventually pretty dangerous um and yeah, yeah. another callback too. She she repeats the, I see, I want, I take, and then she adds, mm -hmm. I forget. So you kind of get a little insight into what it is that she gets out of this, you know, taking behavior. What does she get out of these relationships with guys that she despises? Is, you know, nothing. nothing. <laughs> and it and it and it numbs. It helps her forget. Um, yeah. You know, which is. We, you know, oh, something I see. new. I wasn't I, that taking was my the interpretation cause, of it anyway. Yeah, I wasn't taking the cause and effect there quite the way that that you were. I, I was taking it as, I see, I take, or I see, I want, I take, whatever it is. I forget saying, it it doesn't matter to her mm. in one way or the other. Not not that the act itself is useful for forgetting. Got it. Um, and maybe both. Yeah, it could be. I, I, I'm just saying I didn't take it that way, but I, it could, it could be. Um, interesting, huh? Um, and then the other, and yeah, w sorry, go ahead. sorry, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was just gonna I say, I guess the other Xander... thing that I noticed too was just, um, we, it reminds me kind of how in the first episode those gender expectations are reversed that I think you kind of get that in this scene too of you know it you don't generally this episode or this uh, type of scene you would have the man attacking the woman in that way and with him on the bed and everything it's like very you know very sexual and almost like a pseudo rape scene too so yeah. I think you know there's that layer on top of it too which is kind of again you can see the the writer's subverting your expectations of proper gender roles in these types of stories and everything. It just adds a new 
sort of layer. It makes it less expected, I guess. Um, so kind of a, again, uncomfortable thing to watch, but also kind of interesting that, to see a scene that you expect to see done in a, it, it just makes you look at it from another perspective than you're used to, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, that's exactly where I was going to go. So glad you brought oh, that up. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no problem. I beat you to it. Not at all. Yes, you did. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It is uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and for all of those reasons. Yes. Um, so, but then we get Angel coming Angel in. Angel to the rescue. Saving, Hooray. Yeah, <laughs> saving Xander instead of Buffy this time, I suppose. Um, so there's a plus. Well, another, uh, and another expectation reverse because you kind of have Angel in the background of the episode following um, all these clues and kind of like Giles, you're afraid that this is going to spell trouble for Buffy, that this is all because he bumped into her with blood on her hands. All these things mm -hmm. are going to, he sees the, the, the police detective at her house, whatever. And then, um, and then of course he's figured it out too. And he's followed the trail to faith. So, you know, it's kind of nice again to see that the characters know, you know, don't just all assume like that they know Buffy well enough to follow the clues to the correct conclusion, you know? Mm -hmm. um, whereas you might've expected this to become like, you know, the story of how Buffy was framed for this thing. Really Giles and Angel know what they're about and they, and they end up coming to the right conclusion, which is kind of a nice little unexpected twist, I think. Yeah. And good thing that yeah. he was there. And nice to have him save Xander, too, since he and Xander are always sort of at odds with right. each other. <laughs> right. Yeah, although that seems to be more... Xander's one issue. Direction yeah, that's from true. Xander than, than really that Angel. That is true, but maybe but... Xander will... Uh, maybe Xander will feel a little more nicely disposed towards <laughs> Angel after that. Or at least conflicted. Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe he'll well, he feel did like he owes him one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No. Absolutely. I think. Uh, I think that's right. Yeah. And and then so the whole angel bringing faith back to you know his mansion and tying or you know not tying but uh, handcuffing her and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and her yeah, and her just, approach to him being very. Uh, just playing it off as not a big deal, you know, oh, we were just mm -hmm. playing, you know, the, it wasn't what it looked like, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm just a silly girl. Don't worry about me. I wasn't going to do anything, you know, the kind of like, you know, very coy about it and everything. So right. doesn't right. really um, work with him, but. No, it doesn't. And it's, you know, again, you have to wonder like, well, I guess in this instance, like, how well does she really know Angel? Right. You know, I mean, he's, not very well. <laughs> you know, it, yeah, that was never. And I don't work. just mean like him, him and his relationship with Buffy, but like even as like he has all his memories from when he was Angelus right. too. I mean, anything that she might try to get out of it is something that he would have tried as Angelus, yeah. right? You know, it's 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 the. Oh, I was just playing around yeah. or, you know, that kind of stuff. Like it would have been well, and you do totally get, something he would try you to do. You do get you, the you, irony of that 
he used to be the one handcuffed in that very place, you know, so mm. he understands her, you know, probably better than any of the others. So, um, mm -hmm. so yeah, you're going to have to work a little harder to fool Angel, I think, than, you know, and she kind of starts to realize that's not really going to work. Um, you know, she kind of drops the, the nice guy act pretty quickly, I think. Right. Um, so what do you, uh, what do you think of the whole development of the watchers, uh, police force there or whatever <laughs> you want to call them? Um, well, I mean, again, you have Wesley being, you know, well-meaning, but not, not merely not just ineffectual, but actually an obstruction to his own cause. You know, like, his well-meaning intention, you know, actually gets in the way of them accomplishing mm -hmm. anything. Um, yeah. So, you know, it is kind of interesting that... I mean, I guess the most interesting part is that this seems to be, if not a frequent occurrence, at least not unheard of, that there have been occasions where Slayers have gotten carried away and killed people, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah, sort of gone. Call, yeah. yeah, there's a, uh, you know, I mean, you get that from Giles that that there's supposed to be some sort of inquiry. Yeah. And, and yeah. yeah so, so, so I guess the most interesting thing is And they, they have a special test. Well, like the most interesting part being that they have like protocol for this and, and right. a specialized task force, like you said. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which sort of implies certain things about the history of Slayers and Watchers and their relationship, you know. Um, yeah. Well, and it makes you wonder what happens when a Slayer goes bad. Yeah. <laughs> Time for a new one. And how do you get one of those? You kill the old one. You that know? is a I good mean, point. That seems, I mean, it. It's the implication. If, yeah. If found guilty, the implication seems to be that it's a capital crime. Yeah. And so you have to you have to wonder, you know, or a capital punishment within, you know, whatever yeah. the Watchers Council, Council considers to be a crime. Right, um, right. Which it, it does make you wonder what how naive is Wesley? Because he seems to be saying or believing that this is what's best for Faith, that, you know... I, you know, we're arresting you, but it's for your own good. It's just be, it's, it's, you know, we're going to, we're going to help you. And this is justice. And, you know, I, mm -hmm. he doesn't act like someone who's sentencing her to death intentionally. You know, it doesn't right. seem like that's his, where he's coming from. So right. it kind of makes you wonder to what extent he realizes what's going on. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and is he, is he just sort of, you know, bought into the system and isn't really thinking about it that much? Or is he naive about what might happen? Or, you know, we're not quite, mm. I guess we, <clears throat> we don't really know him well enough yet to know, you know, whether to believe him when he says those things. Like, does he believe yeah. this is really for her own good, you know, or is he just a you know, corporate monkey who does what he's told and, you know, doesn't question orders and everything. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know. <laughs> Good questions. All right. I guess you're not going to. I guess you can't answer that. I'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, I I think those are good questions. I think I I think at this point I would just say he seems to be sincere. Yeah. In his belief. Yes. You know what I That's mean? That's like the impression that. that I got. Um so, you know, take that for what you will. I, I you know, but again, now, so now that there's two Slayers, uh, which, you know, has only been true for a couple of years, you know, however far back the Slayer tradition goes, they've never had to deal with punishing one Slayer while the other, while another one was still available. But historically speaking, there's not a lot of incentive, not a lot of incentive to keep a Slayer imprisoned for a long time. Mm. Right. It seems to be either the options are clear her and clear her quickly so that she can go out and fight some more yeah. or, you know, uh, get again, it over it with becomes, and get someone it, new. it becomes a capital crime. Yeah. And we're not talking like years of, you know, court appeals yeah. and that kind of thing, um, because if if you just keep a slayer in prison, then you don't have anyone out there fighting against the demons. And, yeah whatever so um yeah so like it it definitely definitely an interesting scenario there um yeah and and you could speculate for quite some mm. time on that i suppose um i guess sort of the final person uh we need to discuss with interaction and we talked a little bit is is with the mayor mm. and faith um yeah yeah and I, again it being one of those things of him being willing to um, work with the 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 bad seeds that are in Sunnydale if it benefits himself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he says uh, a slayer up for murder. That's sunshine and roses to me. It really is. So he's happy yeah. that they're up for murder and that they might get executed. But he's kind of seemingly equally happy when they when faith turns up at his door and is asking for a job so you know again he's so opportunistic with his personnel i guess like you know if they're serving him then welcome and otherwise everybody's expendable and he doesn't seem to miss you know that uh to miss alan or trick that much and he doesn't seem to really hold any grudge against faith for killing yeah. them. I mean, we don't know. We don't see them together for more than a couple seconds. So he could be completely right. um, laying a trap for her, I guess. But um, it doesn't seem like he is going to... The impression I got was that he was accepting her offer to work for him. Not, yeah. you know, that it wasn't going to become a, oh, you or- killed my... You know, yeah. Well, yeah, and he. I mean, he clearly knows that she. She's the one who killed. Yeah. Um, Trick. Uh, yeah, I guess at this point we don't really know. I mean, we know the mayor is currently invincible. Yes. So, you know, it seems like whatever Faith's proposal may be, 
there's really no downside for him. Yeah. At least to hear her out. You know what I mean? What Whatever is her, um, you know, goal or design, she can't kill him. Yeah. You know, so it it it's just like I may as well invite her in and see where it goes. And yeah, and and you're right. He does seem to have a sort of um, sinister pragmatism. Yeah. You know, uh, to his actions. So. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Um, which you know we've seen before. I mean, that's pretty much how Trick got the job. Yeah. You know, was oh, I see you're in town and you're a bad dude and I need your help. Yeah. <laughs> so now trick is gone. And, uh, yeah. Did, uh, did, uh, trick being killed off? Did that surprise yeah, you? Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely did. Um, I, I don't know whether I, I hadn't really put a lot of thought into when or if I expected him to go, but, um, but you kind of get used to having Trick and the Mayor around for a while, and suddenly it's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, I guess that's the end of him. Um, so, yeah. no, it definitely did surprise me. Yeah. Um, and I guess Another especially, of- too, following so soon behind Alan, um, you kind of yeah, sure. don't expect both of the Mayor's, um, you know, right-hand guys to get done in, you know, in two episodes. Um, mm-hmm. and then replaced by Faith of all people. So <laughs> it is kind of right. a surprising turn of events, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess it seems clear that Trick was only a little bad. A little bad. He was not a big, yeah. he was not a big bad so I guess of the season. The question, now, now do we count Faith as a bad? Um, or, you know, I guess that... As that is a question. question. Has you know has has she officially turned at this point? Is is she if if it's a spectrum, does she now lean more to the one side mm. than the other? I, I don't that's know. a good that's a good question. Um, in the last fifteen minutes or so, though, we'll probably need to ignore that particular question. Yeah, and maybe talk about some of the other characters. Yeah. Um, that is, talk about them not necessarily in relation to faith. Yeah, <laughs> um, because believe it or not, you know, and believe it or enough, not, given, other things do happen in this episode. Well, I was going to say, given given that a lot seems to happen with faith, I actually think. Buffy has more screen time this episode yeah. and, and, and the other characters just in general. Right, like it's not right. like well, other episodes. It's not like the Zeppo where, you know, Xander definitely got more screen yeah. time than sort of all the other characters did or, you know, something like that. Again, comparing to the Zeppo, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, the, like for the, having so much happen. This, sorry. Well, I was just going to say the story of the episode is really as interesting as it is to kind of follow Faith's journey through the episode the story really is more about how is Buffy going to handle this you know mm-hmm. like she's the one really who has like a character arc in a way you know and and it's her trying to figure out what am I going to do you know going mm-hmm. from trying to convince Faith and then talking it out with her friends and then you know them trying to rein her in in the end so yeah, I think you're right. Even though it seems kind of faith heavy, it's just as much Buffy, Buffy heavy, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, did you have movie. anything particular about? Um, I wanted to talk about the Buffy and Willow stuff, but did you have anything in particular about Buffy just herself that you thought we should no. talk about? Well, I, so I guess um, just the opening, you know, we get her dreams, yeah. um, you know, of, of drowning. And um, again, we get, it has sort of that prophetic yeah. uh, aspect to it, considering that Alan gets found in the water yeah. and whatever, um, which is interesting because I don't, did did we know that he was in the water? I'm trying to remember. Uh, Faith, what Faith says said. that she dumped the body in the water. I think in the in a river yeah. or something or the yeah. Okay. Yeah, she said like she said like exactly. I waited it and dumped it. So the right, implication, right. Okay. yeah, being that it's she waited it down in the water. Okay. Um. So yeah. So I mean. Okay. So. Buffy knew there was water involved already, so maybe less prophetic than it might. But have it's seemed, definitely but... symbolic, you know. <laughs> if nothing. Oh else. yeah, no, it definitely shows her guilt. Um, even though she's not the one who did it, at least her guilt for uh, almost a Willow esque guilt of keeping a secret, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely being haunted by it, and that feeling um, of of drowning and sort of helplessness of being mm -hmm. pulled down by Alan and then held down by faith, you know, of her mm -hmm. actively holding her head underwater, you know? So right. it, that's right. almost prophetic in that it, it, it's in the dream. It's faith. Who's going out of her way to keep Buffy down, you know, that it, it, that's almost a, a little, precognition of faith's betrayal in a way i guess right um so yeah just i mean i guess i would just sort of you know you have to wonder like how how much though she's allowing faith to sort of be the one to manipulate her you know she could have gone at any time to tell people without faith's consent hmm. um and it's interesting that we see Faith there with her uh, in the library because it is almost like she's keeping tabs on what Buffy's going to yeah. do. You know what I mean? Like, Faith isn't exactly known to be the one to stick around in the library. While yeah, to get assignments talking. and stuff. Yeah. More, <laughs> often, more often than not, she's out wherever and someone has to find her to tell her what, yeah. you know, wants, what needs to be done or whatever. Yeah. So... Uh, it does seem like Faith is is sticking around more to the team than she has been yeah. sort of in the last several episodes. So um, anyway, but yeah, no, I, I don't think I have any th much to say about Buffy, just sort of herself. We can talk about her and Willow. Um, okay. And sort of sort of the awkwardness of the previous episode where, where Willow was hurt by not you know, being able to go out with Buffy and Faith and kind of wondering why all of a sudden when they've gone out numbers of times, right? You know, the, yeah. either Willow and, you know, typically with the other Scoobies or whatever, um, you know, would go with Buffy um, on her patrols or, or to do a specific task or something. And, and now it seems not. Um, so, yeah. So what, what, uh, what about their sort of talk uh, or, or I guess even the sort of the earlier, uh, you know, discussion they have when Willow kind of runs off 
Um, yeah, well, I, any, I mean, I guess, I guess just a continuation of that idea that keeping secrets from each other is rarely a good idea. That that really the awkwardness is, I mean, partly Willow's, I think a lot of what Willow's, Willow says is right, that it is kind of Buffy's, Buffy's at fault for really, you know, not including her of, of not letting her play the same role she's played before. I think Willow does have a lot of good points, but also part of it is just a misunderstanding that, that by the time Buffy comes, you know, to come to Willow for help, finally, Willow's sort of misunderstanding the nature of what it is that Buffy needs to talk about. And so you do get that sense of if they had, if Buffy had been sharing with her all along, you know, then you wouldn't be having those sorts of, um, you know, they might still be hurting each other's feelings, but not for these reasons, you know, like not with Mm -hmm. this kind of unintentional, um, you know, misunderstanding and everything. Um, so it is kind of like a continuation of that. Um, so, and, and I just think it's really interesting how Willow kind of accidentally gets Buffy to, to come clean in, in by, you know, by her kind of, I was too hard on you. Sometimes I unleash. I don't know my own strength. Um, but like her, her kind of flippant remark, just because I can't kill things. And of course that's exactly I was going to say that's the wrong thing to say, although it's actually the right thing to say because it's exactly what Buffy needs to trigger just that she can't keep it in anymore, you know, that that hits so close to home. Um, And, you know, that's just kind of a nice little moment of them being in sync maybe when they don't even realize it, that they know each other really well. Um, And... She should have, you know, if you, if she'd gone to Willow sooner, you know, Willow seems to have the right things to say to, you know, even even if unintentionally. It's what Buffy needs to hear to kind of finally let loose and open up and tell her everything. So, um, yeah, so it's, yeah. it's nice. I like that they had that little reconciliation moment. Um, it's good. I think... Willow is definitely a better ally than Faith is. So it's nice to see Well yeah. nice to see Buffy back on you know back, you know, on the right side with that friend as opposed to as opposed to mm-hmm. Faith. Mm-hmm. Um so since we're talking about Willow, mm-hmm. uh the the Xander reveal. Mm. <laughs> uh, and I like how Willow got that like five minutes before everybody else did. Yeah, I I don't need to say. Yeah. Oh, I I got yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but of course, she's upset by. She it. is, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's still still the two of them know? can't help but feel some sense of ownership over the other. You know, there's you you feel like there's always going to be that sense of you can't imagine them ever being a couple but are but are they ever going to be free of the sense that they're they you know there's that, always going to be some together. some little lingering yeah. jealousy and you know yeah i think 
And yeah, maybe that'll know. lessen think, well, as time goes on, but she can't help but feel disappointed whenever Xander's with anybody else, even if she doesn't really want to be with him herself. <laughs> and he probably well, feels the same way. Yeah, because, I, I mean, obviously all we do is we see that she understands it. Yeah. And then um, we see her crying, yeah. you know, in a, in a bathroom stall. So, I mean, we don't get an explicit idea of exactly what upsets yeah. her. Does it upset her that it's not that his first sexual experience wasn't with her? Right. Does it upset her that it was with Faith? Right. You know, I mean, like, would it have been as bad as it if it had been with like anyone? Right. Like, even if it had been with like Cordelia, right? When they were dating, you know what or I mean? Something. Like, yeah. Yeah. Would it would that have been as bad? Yeah. You know, we don't know, but yeah. you kind you kind of get the feeling that probably is a little of each. Um, that yeah, there's a little bit of jealousy in there, but also there's a little bit of of anyone. Why did it have to be her? She's you yeah. know not the right person to, for him, kind of. And thing. of course, she's already um, feeling a little resentful about Faith because of because of the issues with Buffy too, you know? So, you know, right, there's right, the right. sense in which Faith and Buffy have gotten closer and now Xander's gotten very close, you know? So, you know, mm -hmm. there might be that element of because it's Faith, that would make sense, that it would be more difficult. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. But, but then I also, and, and it could I, be I, all of the above. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily think it has to be one, one or the I other. I do think it is there. And again, it is all just speculation, but I do think there is that element of at least while they're, you know, this young, there's always going to be anybody else but Willow is always going to be difficult for Willow, you know. Keeping in mind, though, that this is not far removed from her offering herself to Oz oh, yeah. in a very... Uh, you know, explicit. Well, way I don't with, think that the two the are Mary. mutually exclusive. You know. <laughs> no, no, I don't yeah. either. I, I'm just saying, like it. There is that note of. Yeah. You know, you you know you. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. So. Um. But yeah, I mean, you can't help but feel bad for her because yeah. because I think we also have that same sort of. Now, not not when it happened before necessarily, but you know, in the Zeppo, I think we were kind of like, oh, well, okay, that was surprising, but interesting, you know, that that Xander and Faith wouldn't have picked that, yeah. you know, particular coupling. Um, but now we're like, yeah, why? Ah, oh, why did it have to be? Yeah, her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's kind oh, of a Xander. bummer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. especially given he got so much more out of that experience than, than she seems to have. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. And, and it's not like, it's not like he thought, oh, we're a couple now or anything, but like, you can see how let down he is to hear that she, this is what she does with all the guys and they, none of them mm -hmm. mean anything, you know? Mm -hmm. So it is that sense of a, of a waste, you know, that it right. was, it was just a disappointing experience that shouldn't sure. have been kind of a thing. So, 
Um, yeah, so you have to feel for him too. And then, of course, he <laughs> he tries to, you know, maybe he can use the connection he had to help her, and she tries to kill him. So it goes even further yeah, towards it, disappointment. The, the particular connection, yeah. not only does it not work, but it seems that that particular connection makes it even yeah. worse. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for someone who's trying to actively distance herself from emotional connection. Yeah. Um, it, it kind of seems like he's, he's the worst person to go try to convince her of that. Yeah. Um, one last thing for Willow, mm. she's still trying to de-rat Amy. She is. Yes. Uh, so Amy's still around. Yeah. That's unfortunate for yes. her. <laughs> her grades must not be. I'm glad that we're getting weekly updates though about the, the, the de-ratting process. Yeah. <laughs> I will be very interested to see when or if that is ever a reality <laughs> when when or if yeah all right oh w- well you know what one last thing for willow too is she is the one to ask the very sensible question why are we not just as donna says phoning the real police why aren't we letting justice be or in this case letting the council do their thing faith is running around trying to kill people so there is a sense in which maybe (laughs) justice is the right thing you know maybe (coughs) is this someone who uh they are capable of helping or is you know the law the only thing which is going to you know Mm -hmm. control her at this point so you know again willow voice of reason you know you can't really fault her for asking those questions you know and there are times where you know giles and buffy are conspiring about how we're going to help her and angel has her locked up and this is going to be a long process and you're kind of on willow's side going is this at all does anybody expect this to work i don't don't know so you know interesting that it or it's a good thing i think that you have at least one person calling that into question as to whether those are you know sensible means of you know uh or sensible courses of action i guess yeah yeah absolutely um well final final sort of um set of characters that we need to talk Mm. about wesley and cordy in their moment. Oh yes, yes, we need to talk uh, about that. Wesley, Wesley's here to keep <laughs> what, an eye on the girls. There? Wesley's here to keep an eye on the girls. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, I, and then he, he specifically Buffy spells out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Uh, that was really funny. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know what else. He's very taken with Cordy, and she seems very happy to encourage that. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing is like there seems to be a mutual yeah. interest. Yep. Uh, yep. And he kind so, of I like yeah. that he assumes she's a teacher and then. Uh, and, but he doesn't even he he pulls himself together a little bit when he realizes that she's a student, but not that much. He's still pretty open with, you know, how attracted he is. So. We'll see where that goes. That's kind of an interesting. I don't know. 
Well, you do know that both of them appear in Angel, right? I do know that. Okay. So we're laying the I, groundwork for I, something I am neither yeah. giving anything away yeah. or withholding anything. I'm just making that observation that mm. this is information you already know. Okay. Yep. No right. implications implied. <laughs> On that very pithy abomination, uh, I think it's time for us to end this session. All right. So with that, we will uh, be back to talk about some more Buffy and Doctor Who very soon. See you then. Mm-hmm.